This is the Build Our Future podcast. We shape our buildings, and afterwards our buildings shape us. A window into the past, present, and future of the construction industry. We have still a lot of unlocked doors. Clarity with design, craftsmanship with the build. There's still a lot to find out and do and invent. Collaboration for our future. You know, I don't think it's the end of the invention. The Build Our Future podcast with Raul Faria. Let's build. Begins now. Welcome to the Build Our Future podcast. Really happy today to have Ian McFadden from Hummingbird Hill Homes. Very interesting how they're positioning themselves in the market. Welcome, Ian, to the show. Thank you, Raul. Uh, great to be here, and thanks for having me. Wonderful. So tell me a little bit more about Hummingbird Hill Homes, when you guys started, what you guys started doing, and how you've kind of evolved over the years. Yeah, absolutely. So Hummingbird Hill Homes was actually started by by my founding partner, uh, Aaron Miller. He founded it, I don't know, 10 years ago, something like that. I had a carpentry contracting firm about five years ago, and I actually ended up doing some work for Aaron, and we were, I think, backframing a house or something. And, and during that work, me and Aaron started discussing, and we started talking about the sort of the way we see the future of home building and talking about energy efficiency and I know at the time spray foam was all the rage and everyone wanted to just spray foam the shit out of everything because you know it was it was amazing. Supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> well, we started talking about that and and what are what are sort of from my standpoint, what my sort of best value and, and, and best methods of doing things were. And that really sort of spiraled into, hey, why don't we partner up? So we did. Aaron really started focusing on on getting the message out and I started focusing on just the execution and, and how we want to do things from a best practices standpoint. And over the past four years, we've gone from doing two or three builds a year to I think this year we've got 10 or 11 slated to go. So it's been rapid growth for sure. Well, that's uh, that's pretty fantastic. Now, now today, I know we wanted to talk about a few different concepts and how they kind of intertwine and and what are the challenges, especially on the residential side. I mean, we all know that when when rules and stuff come out with cutting edge sustainability stuff, they focus on the commercial side mainly, right? And then it you kind of try to implement them and then you notice all these hurdles. But just briefly, you know, what we're going to touch on is, you know, passive houses, well certified, but I guess that's not on the residential side yet. But you know, what, what, is it, what does it mean to have a, a well-designed house uh, and also LEED? Everyone knows about LEED. So can you touch on a little bit about what each of those three things are? Yeah, for sure. So just really quickly, I'm, so I'm a uh, certified passive house builder. I'm a well-accredited, I think is the correct term to, to terminology. I was at a point a lead AP. I, I'm sure that's expired. Um, I did that probably a decade ago. So very quickly, Passive House is started a, a, as a German standard. The the original research behind it actually came from some groundbreaking research done in Saskatchewan in Canada, um, and then it was sort of exported to Germany, and then we exported it back again. Uh, basically, it's an extreme energy efficiency standard. There's, uh, without getting in, into technical details, there's basically a bunch of heating load and cooling load calculations that you have to hit, and there's peak energy demand, and there's an air tightness target. Air tightness is probably the one that everyone's familiar with. You need to get less than 0.6 ACH50 through a blower door test. Well is really geared for health and wellness. Well and Lead are, I believe they're partnered up. They, they came to some sort of 
corporate agreement where LEED is the ener- was the energy efficient sort of environmentally friendly design standard geared towards primarily commercial. There is a lead for homes, but nobody wants to pay for it and it's, it hasn't been very successful. The lead under commercial has has done a pretty good job and basically it's a point system that attributes points to, you know, reducing embodied carbon, reducing emissions, more energy efficient design, you know, having a bike rack so that you limit uh, vehicle use, that kind of thing. Right. And they've got their different tiers, right? With their exactly, yeah. platinum, silver, so on yeah, and so forth. Gold, yeah. silver, platinum, silver, gold, platinum, right up. And then Well came in uh, and Well was started by a company called Delos. Well came in and said, hey, we've got to occupy these spaces. Why don't we pay attention to the people that occupy the spaces through all of this? So they developed a separate standard that it's really interesting because the standards kind of, they sort of feed into one another. Like by doing a lot of the things that make Passive House or LEED or Living Building Challenge or any of these other things, by using those principles, you end up doing a lot of the things that you want to for a well-certified place. It's things that lead to better indoor air quality, better natural daylighting, better acoustical privacy, all those sorts of things. But yeah, I guess, I guess people actually think about that, right? Uh, in residential homes, especially some people who, when they're trying to fit out their, their basement and they want to rent it out, they're like, well, I don't want sound to travel up and down. And exactly. So it's, it's little things like that, right? Now with the well building standard, there, there are they've actually come up with like some core concepts that kind of fundamentally encapsulate what it is. Can you share what those are and and obviously how they interlace with everything else as well? Yeah, absolutely. So very briefly, I'm sure I'm not going to say all of them here, but there's there's a site component that has to do with circadian rhythms, natural daylighting. There's a sound component, which is sort of acoustical privacy. There's a uh, indoor air quality component. They've got a, a few other ones that are really geared towards corporate environments that have to do with like exercise and making it so people are mindfulness and comfort and fitness. Exactly, yeah, yeah, all those yeah. things are all kind of put together, right? Yeah, exactly. Given you know how Google has the like nap rooms and that kind of yeah. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> so from a residential standpoint, obviously we don't worry too much about forcing people to exercise. We we feel like people that come to us are, are fairly health conscious to begin with. But what we do from a building standpoint is. And if you follow my partner, Aaron, on Instagram at all, you'll, you'll really see him talking about using the five senses. And it's kind of funny. We, we started talking about the five senses, definitely not before well, but before we were aware of well. So we started talking about the five senses as like, why aren't we using all five senses to experience the built environment? And then I started digging in and I discovered Delos and well, and then Delos uh, subsequently has created a smart home platform called Darwin. But through the well certification process, we started taking a lot of those building practices and applying them to a residential home. So we actually have what's called the Hummingbird Hill Sleep Sanctuary. And that really is a great sort of encapsulation of of all the ideals from a health and wellness standpoint that we put into a home. And and we sort of put it right into that master bedroom. Um, And they're applicable throughout the house. But specifically from a master bedroom standpoint, we talk about thermal comfort which is really rolls into a lot of the energy efficient design as well. But it's basically just uh, low air leakage, good levels of insulation. You want to be comfortable in your bedroom. And then there's also things related to independent uh, zoning for heating and cooling control, because you do want your bedroom to be a little bit cooler than the rest of your house because it uh, promotes good sleep. Indoor air quality, you want good indoor air quality, uh, good ventilation in your master bedroom, really in any bedroom, but just master bedroom we'll focus on. 
because as you sleep, you expel carbon dioxide, more carbon dioxide concentration in the air means you're getting less oxygen into your bloodstream. You get a worse sleep. You wake up groggy, maybe with a headache, all that kind of stuff. There's also smell related to indoor air quality. Um, you don't want any weird smells waking you up in, in the middle of the night. Acoustical privacy is a big one. Anyone with kids knows what I'm talking about there. You want a nice... Dep- depends on the age of the kids. If they're really young, you you want to hear. <laughs> We've got a one-year-old right now, so I know what that's all about. But, you know, I'd, be, I'd still rather have that pod and then just have... We've got our little, you know, smart video monitors. So I hear you. I have a two-year-old, so I know exactly what you're talking about. You have the little monitor beside you. Right? Exactly, yeah. I yeah. And it, it goes, it's the same with, like, ventilation. Like, I want to hear her, but I want to hear her in a controlled manner, right? <laughs> so I make sure she's safe, and if she needs me, I can go run and kind of thing. But so there's acoustical privacy, and there's a, there's a number of, of different things you can do for acoustical privacy. The walls are the easiest ones where you do offset studs and, and uh, bad insulation. And then depending on an STC value that you're looking for, you can do double five-eighths drywall on both sides and all that. And that comes into the planning just to make sure where walls plane into one another and all that. Floors become a bigger challenge. There's a ton of things you can do, but it depends on so many things to do with decoupling and sound dampening and where in the house is it. What are your options, right? You can't necessarily drop every ceiling if you flow right through into floor to ceiling windows, right? Like you've got to plan all these things. Yeah, with with flooring too, it's that kind of like in condos, right? Because I think they go with the bare minimum. You need like you know this rating of of underpad, yeah. uh, but really you can still hear. <laughs> you can still hear people walking up. Uh, you know, exactly, and, and, that, stuff, right? and so that it's gets yeah, I can see the, how it's um, pretty challenging. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but yeah, so those are the sort of big. The, the big design concepts and, and construction concepts that we use for really the whole home, but uh, focusing in on the Hummingbird Hill Sleep Sanctuary. No, no, this is a little bit more of a personal question. Yeah. Um, w- were you interested in this concept of, I guess for lack of a better term, all-around comfort, shall we say, based on your background? Because you came from an athletic background, right? So a lot of that stuff with having good sleep, you know, good air quality for not just the body, but, but, you know, the mind as well. And then when you got into the construction side of things, you kind of naturally kind of move into it. Yeah, absolutely. So my background, I, I've got a BA from Western in kinesiology, so nothing to do with construction. Um, and I was a, a competitive powerlifter for many years when I was far younger and in better shape. So I've always, since I was in high school, I've been really interested in health and, and wellness and diet, exercise, you know, all these things. And then it wasn't until I got into when I started going down the route of being a carpenter and I started realizing all of the materials that we use and that the spaces that we build and how much they impact our lives. Indoor air quality is really impacted by VOCs, by, you know, formaldehyde filled glues. Like we put all these things into our buildings that we're breathing in. And like you don't want your indoor air quality to be worse than the outdoor air quality, right? Like especially living in, I, I live in Dundas, close to Hamilton. Hamilton's notorious for some pretty crappy uh, air mm-hmm. mills and yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, Toronto's pretty brutal sometimes. Yeah. That shouldn't be the better air quality. Yeah, yeah that <laughs> shouldn't want, be the bare minimum, right? Exactly. Like you know, everyone talks about you go up north. I, I, I on a yearly basis, we go and we just portage up, uh, get completely into the wilderness for, for five days off grid. And the, the change in, in the feeling as you breathe, it's kind of like, why 
can't we experience that all the time? And if you have a properly built indoor environment, you can. It's about controlling everything that comes into that building envelope through proper ventilation, proper filtration, and proper material usage. And, and that really impacts your entire well-being, right? Your entire state of mind through if you have good, I guess, good oxygen consumption, right? Like you're yeah, just no, I, I really understand what you mean. But, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm really curious when when you guys first came up with this idea, this concepts with the five senses and bringing this into your design and construction, I'm assuming there would be some challenges in kind of getting clients on board with this because it's not something that you can quantify, right? And and I would assume one of the first questions is, well, that sounds great, but how is it going to affect me? Not just, you know, how can you quantify it, but also on a dollar value perspective as well, right? Because that's on, on, when you're talking about B2C, that's kind of what it always kind of gears down to, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I love that question because it's the one that we hear the most, I, I guess, the end result is just education for everybody, right? It's, it's the ideal. You want everybody to know that these things are great and we should spend a little bit more money to achieve them. That's not the reality. Obviously, we have, as a company, we've gotten to a point where we do get clients coming directly to us to have those discussions, but not everybody. Most of the time, we win a, we win a project because we're a little bit greener. We're we focus on energy efficiency and maybe we're talking about health and wellness. So, you know, those are sort of our differential advantages. And then once a client has been signed on with Hummingbird, I get in there and I, I kind of shoehorn some of these concepts in there. From a health and wellness standpoint, there's a lot of things we can do that don't need to cost more or they're marginal. They're like, you know, you're increasing by like 1%. The biggest thing is people need to understand that you can't just go to a big box store and buy whatever crap is off the shelf, right? There's alternatives. There's eco-friendly. There's red list free. So the red list really quickly, just because I'm going to probably say red list a few times here now. The red list was a thing developed by the International Well Building Institute, which has the Living Building Challenge. And it's based on a whole bunch of EPA guidelines taken, you know, a hundred times to the max. And it's basically a list of highly toxic ingredients that are commonly used in building materials. And they basically said, you don't want any of these at any concentration in anything. Like they're just not good for us. The big ones are formaldehyde. Everyone hears about formaldehyde and, you know, we want a formaldehyde free house. So many things have formaldehyde in them. Like 90% of the shit that you buy off of a shelf somewhere has formaldehyde in it. There are alternatives out there. You just have to be aware that they're out there and do a little bit of legwork to find them. And the same goes for a lot of these things. Doing, I talked earlier about acoustical privacy in the master bedroom and doing offset stud framing. It doesn't cost anymore. You just need to understand that, hey, maybe you've lost an inch or two. Downtown Toronto, maybe that's a hard sell in itself. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean, you've lost an inch or two and, and all, it, all it takes is a little bit of planning, right? right. You're swapping out your two by fours, your two by sixes or two by fours, and you're just teaching your framers. Like if they charge you extra, tell them I'll buy you a case of beer. Just do this one. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, the, yeah. It must be nice now that mo most clients come on board wanting this and soliciting this, but, but that's what I found too. Even, even when you talk about sustainability or even, you know, I spoke to Linda Kafka for one of the shows mentioned the living in place movement, pretty similar, similar kind of concept, but it actually doesn't take, it doesn't necessarily cost 
that much more. Like I'm talking in the 10, 20, 25% kind of range that people have this idea that it's costing. Uh, but really what it is, is it's a little bit more time up front to plan it out and design it properly or well, <laughs> as they say, but in, in order to uh, implement these things that are really going to be tangibly better down the line. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, you know, that's something that at Hummingbird we're really trying to focus on as well is we're, we're starting to, to model everything in Revit and we're starting to really create an integrated team approach to that where we are thinking about all of these things so we can get that costing feedback up front, make the decision. If we are going to go full bore, you want really energy efficient, you want really healthy, is it going to cost you 5% more? I, I don't think it would ever cost 10% more unless you're going really nuts or putting a full solar array on your roof. 5% might be realistic. And then it's saying, is that in the budget? And if it's not, is there something from an aesthetic standpoint that we're willing to pull back on a little bit? Right. Value engineering, right? Exactly. Right. right. Like where, where is this important? What sort of things is it important to do? And then a really big one is ensuring that your contractor is sourcing materials from a reputable place, right? There's uh, environmental product declarations for so many different materials that are called EPDs. You should be able to get your hands on basically anything for any product. You just need to, you know, do a ask the question. You just need to ask the question. You can Google EPD for whatever, right? Yeah. And you'll be able to find it. And it tells you global warming potential and what, what ingredients are in it and all this stuff, you know, where it comes from, right? Do you want your stuff coming in from China? It, like it, it's nothing inherently wrong with Chinese made products, but do you want a wood product that, you know, you could source from Northern Ontario? Why are we importing that from China? Right. Maybe it's a little bit cheaper, but if you're focused on this kind of thing and this is important to you, I'm sure you could get the exact same thing from Quebec's got a very powerful forestry. I also find it's not just about cost sometimes. Sometimes the cheaper products, they don't last as well. Exactly. Durability um, is a huge Durability step. is huge, right? I mean, we can all say as, con I mean, you know, I'm a contractor as well. We can always say, yes, I can do it because you know your warranty as long as it's done. And I guess that's a lot of people's mentality uh, out there. So, you know what, as long as it lasts the warranty, but we do the same thing uh, that you do on a commercial perspective. We say, hey, you know, this might cost 5% more, but it's going to last five, seven years longer than this one. Yes, it adds up, but I don't want to leave. And then you have issues right when I leave, <laughs> right? Exactly. And, and I mean, and from commercial is a great uh, sort of a, a great juxtaposition to the residential side because there is an ROI discussion, right? You can say, hey, you spend a little bit more, but it's going to last you 10 years longer. Somebody, you know, a bean counter somewhere can crunch that out and say, oh, yeah, that's actually going to save us money in the long term. But trying to have that discussion with a homeowner and worse yet, the, the mortgage lenders don't take any of this into account. Like they don't care if the product's going to last 10 years longer. The cost is what it is, right? And until I think we get the big banks behind the idea that lending for some of these new houses should take into account the overall durability of that house, the energy efficiency, right? If you've reduced your operating costs, presumably you can afford more. Maybe you've reduced your operating costs enough that you can afford that 5% upgrade to make your house super healthy and, and super energy efficient. But do you think that's an issue right now? I know you touched on it, obviously, but, you know, with with some of, you know, the A lenders, as they say over here, the big banks, when, when they lend, some of this stuff you can't fully quantify, shall we say. If I spend X amount, 
like, how do you say I'm going to feel X, X amount better, right? You, you know what I mean? So, I mean, you know, for let's just say a, a custom home that's being built as an example, because that's, that's probably the best example to use if you say, well, I could build this standard custom home and it's going to cost whatever, X number of dollars. And then you say, okay, well, I'm going to, and they say, okay, no problem. And then through the process, you, they go back to their lender and they say, you know what, I'm going to incorporate this wellness stuff, this passive house stuff. And, and you say, you know what, it's going to cost 1.05% more. They'll be like, well, okay, so what are the tangible results coming as, as a result of that extra 5%? I mean, that's a challenge as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, don't think, I, I don't think you'd be able to quantify that. From a lending standpoint, I think it's really, we've got to focus and, and try and get the banks. And I'm sure there's people out there working on this as I talk about it, but start to look at A, the durability, which durability is hard, right? Like how do you, I don't know, maybe if you can say you're using a reputable builder or something, that's got to be worth some points versus your, your pickup truck guy that's going to just whip stuff together for you. Energy efficiency is a huge one. Like if you can demonstrate that your utility bills are going to be half what the assumptions are, that's got to be worth something, right? That's that's just a bare bones, simple accounting equation. Health and wellness is an intangible, and it's it's something that you know. That's I think as a homeowner, you just have to be doing it for yourself and for your family and your kids. Yeah, but you know, I I agree, maybe right now, but I do think it might be changing because when when commercial entities are pushing forward and they've got these certifications on the commercial side, I think with time there will be some sort of certification on on the residential side that comes out. That's you know, probably more quantifiable, then that's going to be an easier sell to, you know, the banks for lending because they lend it to the commercial places. <laughs> so I think sometimes residential is a bit behind the curve just because, you know, when people are buying and stuff, there's emotions involved. So you kind of overbid and, and et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, but I, but I think when it comes to lending, it's always about the metrics. It's always about the numbers. Right. But I think once there's a kind of like a, a, a standard coming that comes into place on the residential side, that's actually achievable. That's, you know, we have, there's always these standards that are so far out there that are not necessarily realistic from not the builder's perspective. I, I like to say, you know, you don't give us a budget and we can build anything you exactly. want. <laughs> right. What are your thoughts on, you know, how this is, how we're moving forward and, and where you see, you know, all these, you know, the, the passive house, the, well-certified house, potential well-certified house, I should say, and the lead kind of all like coming into place on the on a residential side. Do you think there'll be standards coming forward that can be really applied to it? I like to hope so. I, I think probably lead has the best shot at it. The, the Green Building Council has, I think, the biggest reach of all of these things, and it, and it seems to be the broadest and most applicable Passive House has, has done a fantastic job of really getting energy efficient design and, and concepts out there. I think it, it's a bit too extreme and it's, in my personal humble opinion, I think it's more than we need to do. The 0.6 air changes is fantastic and beautiful, but I don't see a real tangible need to get it below about 1.5, right? You've gotten rid of a whole ton of moisture issues and, and air infiltration and all that at that point. And then well, well is a really cool program, but because it's so focused on, there's this huge sort of productivity aspect to well, where, you know, you have a, a happier, healthier worker, they're going to produce more, right? So there's a direct ROI value. Switching that into a residential space is, is a challenge from a, 
from a metric standpoint, right? Well, a lot, and that's why we take a lot of the concepts because you do want to feel better at home. You want to have a better place to, you know, recharge and reset. But really quantifying like you're going to be, you know, 10% better as a person is, I, I Yeah, how do you quantify that, right? I don't think you can do that. Whereas I think I guess we, you do it from a work perspective, right? Hey, we've incorporated this. Our team is is getting stuff done X percent quicker, potentially. Exactly. You can quantify that. There's Those tons are, of studies on it too, right? Like there's, right. you can go to like the Mayo Clinic or PubMD or any of these places and pull up studies on, you know, worker productivity if they have standing desks or like if they take the stairs more than the elevator. Obviously not in a big skyscraper, but maybe in a mid-rise right? More natural daylighting in a workspace, all these kinds of things. Like they've found tangible benefits and impacts to worker productivity. At home, it's like, I don't know, maybe you could say, oh, your sleep is a little bit more restorative or something. But beyond that, it's more just sort of that feeling of relaxation and recharging. The lead standard, I think if lead can really, especially the lead for homes, I think if they can do a bit better of a job, and I'm going to be super vague here because I don't know what that better of a job is. But if they can sort of get more advocacy and maybe a little bit, maybe some government requirements to, to hit certain metrics. I mean, waste reduction is a really big one that we're starting to focus on where we're starting to look at, can you, instead of just knocking a house down, can we reclaim some of it? From an economic standpoint, it doesn't make sense. Like it's a stupid idea. It costs way more money because there's no policies in place. Right now it's easy. You come in and you just smash a house down and you throw it to the landfill, right? And it's like, a quarter of the price of pulling things apart. But if we can get some traction behind that and, and you know, have either tax incentives or, or some sort of requirement, you know, maybe that's something you can do. Looking at embodied carbon, LEED has some embodied carbon accounting where we have to start looking at creating low carbon buildings. I know LEED's building a, uh, a zero carbon certification or standard or something where really we start looking at, hey, maybe we shouldn't throw so much foam in our houses. It, makes them pretty energy efficient, but it's killing the planet because we're throwing a lot of foam into things. So right. you know, what's the trade-off there? Always comes back to spray foam, eh? <laughs> I hate spray foam. I absolutely hate spray foam. I actually had a, funny, we did a meeting, uh, I do a monthly sort of organization meeting with my whole operations team. Mm. And we were sitting around and it was last Friday and I spent about an hour just railing against foam, just saying, I do not want to see spray foam on my houses. I do not want to see closed cell phones in my house. What would you use as an uh, as an alternative to spray foam? So to spray foam, there's tons of alternatives. It's just about understanding how to properly detail the air barrier and what the difference between an air an air and vapor barrier is. Inspectors are your biggest roadblock to this, but if you have the knowledge, you can you can educate. And there's so many different ways of doing that. Tyvek can be a, an air barrier if it's properly detailed. I wouldn't recommend that, but there's a ton of other products through Siga four seven five Rothoblast makes it few cool ones. Dorkin has some really good ones. And there's all sorts of detailing you can do to make it really airtight. And then you use fiberglass bats. They're not bad. There's a company out of the States called Nauf, Nauf, something like that. And they have what's called the EcoBat, and it's a formaldehyde-free fiberglass bat. Fiberglass isn't the best on the planet, but it's definitely not the worst, right? Unless we're going to start filling all of our wall cavities with cellulose, fiberglass is a pretty good alternative. And there's nothing from a performance standpoint wrong with it. For the vapor barrier, we just need to use smart vapor barriers. There's IntelliPlus. That's sort of the biggest one out right now. I know uh, there's CertainTeed's membrane is an example of one. And then there's a few other smaller ones that are trying to come into the market. 
but yeah, there's there's ton tons of alternatives to to foam and to spray foam. I think it's just you know in industry education. Yeah, I know it. It's one of those something becomes the norm and there's a push on it, and people don't necessarily know what the side effects potentially are, right? Because they just say, oh, it's great, it's this, it's that kind of thing, right? Now, 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 curious. Obviously, you know the way. I mean, we're here in Ontario, Canada, and and the way things are going, like, the urban spaces just seem to be getting enlarged, 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 right? Now, in these urban centers like Toronto, we could say Hamilton, close to where you are, Mississauga, or any place around around the world, are we able to pull in some of these concepts into retrofits as well? Or I'm assuming there would be more challenges when you're dealing with an existing footprint because now there's a lot more design work beforehand, right? As opposed to starting from scratch is always quote unquote easier than, than the alternative, right? Have you guys, any of, uh, have you got, have you done any of these retrofits while incorporating, you know, be it passive, passive concepts, well concepts kind of thing. And, and what are some of those challenges that you've been kind of facing? Yeah, absolutely. I think from a sort of ideological perspective, retrofits are from an environmental standpoint, the, the ideological perspective there. Retrofit is your best bet because you're limiting the landfill, right? Like you're you're not knocking down a house and, and getting rid of it. That being said, some old houses are just trash, and we should knock them down. Maybe in a better way, but we should knock them down. A, a retrofit on a house with good bones, and you've got tons of these in Toronto. These really early 1900s old brick houses that are structurally maybe they're questionable structurally but that's pretty easy to deal with uh, if you have a good engineering team and carpentry team but if, if you plan them out you can incorporate all of these ideas into them masonry retrofits you, you do have to be a little bit careful with the uh, existing condition of the brick and that that could be a podcast session on its own talking about oh, that. Oh, yeah. I won't get into how, that. How it's tied into the structure. Is it tied into the structure? There's so many questions. I, I, I agree. Overhangs, all, all that kind of stuff. But yeah. If listeners are interested in, you can you can Google that kind of stuff, and, and there's tons of info on, on how to handle that sort of thing. But so, so we're actually doing one in Trinity Bellwoods right now where we're, we're, just, we're just starting. We're actually underpinning it right now. That one we're going to be using as an example of a completely foam-free house and retrofit. So we're going to be using wood fiber insulation throughout. So it's the wood fibers can be on the interior of the existing structure. And then we're going to flip it out to the exterior of the addition. So this is, it's an existing, I think it used to be like a Toronto community rooming house or something. We're popping the roof off, underpinning, putting an addition. It's like literally everything you can do to a <laughs> without, without tearing it down and rebuilding it, right? Yeah. It's like, but you know, we're, we're not doing that, that classic thing where we're leaving one wall braced up actually leaving three full three-story masonry walls. We're trying to reclaim some of the brick as much as possible from sort of the back wall. We've reclaimed a whole bunch of it to do some feature walls, some new chimneys, all that kind of stuff. But that's going to be a great example of the things that we can achieve when you proactively plan and look through everything. So this is one where we're building it out. We're probably not going to build out the existing structure in Revit because that gets really time-consuming with taking sort of your as-builts and, and what the actual measurements are. Um, we will be modeling the full edition with an eye towards panelizing it. And this one will be sort of an interesting look at the precision that we can achieve with panelization, right? So when you uh, see panelization, are you talking about like modular panelization or yeah, yeah, so wall panels? Um, wall panels, yep. So we, yeah, we've actually started building our own wall panels. Mm -hmm. uh, 
as well. And I'm looking at doing a foam-free alternative for that. But the idea there is to minimize site activity, uh, minimize waste on site. So we've got a, a small factory in, in Oakville, just north of the QEW, where we put together these, these panels. And that sort of ties in with our 3D modeling capabilities. But on this house, we're going to model everything, how everything ties in. Anyone that's done one of these old retrofits knows that like, we can't just, you know, if it calls for nine foot ceilings in the new edition, you can't just throw nine foot walls up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stuff's got to line up, right? Like you've got existing running in. You're like yep. you're, you're going to be you're going to be inches off if you just throw some. some and not just that, you got to figure out where the services are going through. Is there space for it? What's exactly. happening upstairs? How are you going to bring it there? The, yeah, yeah. But so, more to it than just like you said, just put it like adding nine feet. Throw some walls there. But through this planning phase and, and trying to make it entirely foam free, I think it's going to be a, a beautiful case study of with proper planning the things that you can achieve. Right? We don't need to just fall back to the old way of doing things because it happens to be easier, right? You just, with a bit of forethought, we're going to have, this is going to be a beautiful, healthy, relatively energy efficient for the existing age of the home, right? We're going to make that sort of as good as we can without sacrificing a whole bunch of other things. And it's, it, the focus of the home is, is going to be on that built environment, indoor air quality, natural daylighting, some biophilic design, right? So we, we want to live in beautiful places as well. That's another sort of aspect that I don't know if I've, I've mentioned previously, but just the idea that we're bringing nature into the homes. And that doesn't need to be putting a tree in your house, but like having some, you know, having some wood elements, having some sort of natural elements, you could even like an exposed brick wall, all that kind of stuff, right? Now, is that, is this, this project in Trinity Bevel, is this something we can follow along as you go through air and stuff on, on Instagram or Hummingbird Hills? Like, Working, you know, if me, like not even my listeners, me, if I'm interested <laughs> in how you guys are going, like where would we find some of this stuff that you guys Absolutely. are doing? So, so Aaron is at Hummingbird Hill Homes um, on Instagram. I'm sure he's going to post a bunch on it. This is actually going to be one where I I hope I'm going to start posting a little bit more. I've, I've got a very minimal Instagram presence right now. Uh, I'm at Managing the Hill. And this is one that I'm, I'm going to be really interested in. And I think I'm going to try and and post a lot about we'll see <laughs> we'll reach back in like a year okay. <laughs> and aside from that you know if any of our listeners are interested in you know reaching out to you guys to see how they can incorporate something into them uh you know in their houses or something that they want to do moving forward like where would they where would they contact you aside from instagram and following you guys yeah so i mean if it's looking for advice and little pointers instagram is definitely the best spot and that would be through me specifically so at managing the hill for more information hummingbirdhillhomes.com don't go on the website a whole lot but there's an info or contact button somewhere and that that just goes to an email that that aaron looks through so if if anyone wants more info that that can be answered in a in a quick direct message on instagram that's the place to go for sure oh, that's pretty fantastic now let's talk a little bit broad concepts in terms of like what your overall vision is and kind of pushing this like where do you feel you guys want to go in the next five, 10 years kind of thing? What, like just in a broad kind of concept, where would you like it, like to see us going? Yeah. So I, like as an industry or as a company? I know just like you as, as Hummingbird Hills and, and by extension, the industry as well. Like where would you like to see, you know, Hummingbird Hills going in the future and like, you know, what kind of broad visions do you have of, of kind of building upon this foundation it sounds like you guys already started including those you know the five senses and then well came out and you know like that kind of stuff Where do, where's your passion like go, moving forward yeah so i 
I, I guess my where I see Hummingbird going is where I want the industry to go, um, and it's why we really drive a lot of these things. I, I think we at Hummingbird, we really do see ourselves as at least trying to be, I don't know if we are, but leaders in the industry and trying to push a lot of these things through. As an industry, the construction industry is responsible for something like 48% of global greenhouse gas emissions, half of which are operational, the other half of which are material usage. That's the side that we're really starting to focus on. The operational side, I feel like we still have that discussion, but it's, it's I always say it's old hat. It's not a new, exciting thing. It's, in my eyes, every builder should be doing it. Regardless, it should be building code. So like, yeah, we will build your energy efficient house. If you want to hit passive house or net zero or whatever, we'll do that for you. Like, even if you don't want to do it, we're going to make your house better than most people. Right. Like I often will call up a mechanical designer and say, hey, your 3.57 air changers assumption, we're going to be way tighter than that. Like we, I, I always say this, we accidentally got a house down to 0.96 one time. And I say accidentally because we weren't trying to make it really airtight. It was just our standard framing details. And we pulled the board or test in and I went, oh shit, this house wasn't designed for that. So we got you know, he's like, it was a joke, like you got to strategically cut holes because the mechanical designer has made an assumption that you're going to build a really crappy house, right? So that, that's a big one where I want to see the industry catch up on that. Um, Hummingbird is light years ahead of that. What we, as sort of the future of Hummingbird, we're, we're really starting to look at is again around that efficient design and construction, material usage, which feeds into the health and wellness, indoor air quality, biophilic design. So I mentioned before, we're working on a panelization system. What I'm trying to develop there is really a, a sort of mass market replicable panelization system that will be foam free and make air sealing and detailing extraordinarily easy. The idea is that I'm trying to develop the system so that once it's modeled and you have all your measurements and you build it, you get to site, you throw it up and you never have to go outside. Everything's auto gasketing, all that kind of stuff. You know what I find the interesting part about that too is I had a professor from University of Waterloo and we talked about, you know, adaptive reuse of buildings. You were talking about, you know, reusing stuff, but then we started talking about modularization and he was saying how down the line, if people are incorporating this now, if it's designed well up front in 10, 15, 20 years, you will have a model of that. And now it's so much easier to repurpose that and take that somewhere else if we want to, because now it's been designed well. Right, not just to put it together, but to take it apart as well. Exactly, yeah, and that's that's amazing because that that's sort of where, yeah, I think we're we're a little bit away from that, but a few decades from now, I do think that we really start to need to start looking at that idea of adaptive reuse, right? Like going into a home and, and you want to change it rather than needing to rip it down and you know start picking spray foam out of all the cavities, you can just like unscrew a panel and then like maybe turn around you you flip your room, you know, maybe you go get a few more panels and you throw them on and you've got yourself an addition, right? Something, something easy and simple so that we don't have to knock down all these homes. So, so that's kind of a big one. And then really focusing on, for us internally, we're looking at global warming potential of all sorts of materials, looking at doing some carbon accounting. We're heavy into the, the 3D Revit modeling. We really take a collaborative BIM approach to all of this. We, we get get the drawings in from architects, uh, typically in, in AutoCAD, and we, we've got some in-house designers and we build it all out. And we're starting to assemble teams of mechanical engineers, structural engineers that 
want to collaborate on those systems so that we're being more efficient upfront, we're being more efficient with our clients' money, more efficient with material usage, more efficient with time, right? If we can panelize a house either through panels or usage of CLTs, CLTs are sort of something that we're looking at uh, using if they can get their costs a little bit under control. For our listeners, what are what are CLTs? Uh, sorry, CLTs are cross-laminated timbers. Again, that's a, that's a big topic in itself. Because they can always Google it now if they want to. Mass timber would be what you'd want to Google. or So mm-hmm. mass timber in, encompasses glue lambs and CLTs. Glue right. lambs would be your beams. CLTs would be your floor plates and walls. And mm-hmm. I like the idea of using floor plate, using CLTs for floor plates and then panels, infilling with panels. I think it's the most efficient way to do a lot of these things. But yeah, really looking at, at our overall impact on the environment. When we talk about the, this, everyone's talking about the impending climate crisis. I'm not going to get into that political grenade about when that's happening and all that stuff. But if we just agree that the construction has a huge impact on the planet, operations is half of it. We're already, we're pretty good as an industry. And I think, I think that the public sentiment is turning where we are paying attention to energy efficiency. Now we need to really start focusing on what sort of materials we're putting in the building because that's the other half of that pie. And right. it's the biggest piece of the pie, right? So like let's let's start getting things under control and, and minimizing the impact of, of minimizing the waste too, because we're gonna run out of space to to toss stuff out eventually, right? Exactly. I know that's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ian, this has been uh, pretty phenomenal, man. I'm uh, really, really happy you came on. I'm personally looking forward to, you know, following you guys in your Trinity Bellwoods project. I think that's going to be pretty fascinating and interesting. I think we'll be looking at it just as much as you are too, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm I'm excited to to really showcase that one. Yeah, I think that's that's going to be a cool one. We, we do lots of cool projects. I'm I'm really excited about that one because of the foam-free aspect and the impact on health and wellness and some of the other concepts that we're going to discuss there for sure beautiful ian thank you so much again for your time i really appreciate it thanks for having me on building for the five senses how interesting what a concept and it sounds like ian's been kind of pushing on that um, aspect for a little while now even before the well certified buildings and the passive houses but it's really interesting to kind of see how lead passive houses and being well certified kind of intersect and and while it's hard to quantify some of these health benefits uh, we all know going up to the cottage or getting away to your your house your home away from home shall we say is it's so important to catch that refresher that breather from from normal life but what if we can bring that into our day-to-day lives uh pretty fascinating i mean if any of you guys are interested definitely reach out to ian or aaron at hummingbird hill homes It sounds like they're doing some phenomenal things uh, in the residential construction space. And please share this episode with anyone who you think would enjoy something like this as well. Now, coming up next week, uh, I have an interesting episode next week. It's going to be focused on actually myself. Uh, We're going to have a special guest who's going to be talking to me. And I'm going to share with you everything about why I started this podcast where it's going, how it's going, some of my insights with all these phenomenal guests I've been speaking to to this point. So be sure to check out next week if you're interested in why I started this and what my background is and where my passion lies. 